this other rocky road is a little rocky. Last week, last week we talked about, uh, a couple of weeks ago we started talking about P-O-N-R. Who remembers what P-O-N-R stands for? Point of no return. Exactly, that point in a flight where a plane has a certain amount of fuel and it gets to here and then the pilot knows if I go past here, there is not enough fuel to get me back. So I've got to know that I've made my decision to head where I'm heading by the time I get to this point because I can't turn around from that point anymore. I can't spin the ship around and land calmly and peacefully. If I spin it around, it's going to crash and burn. There are still consequences because I've kind of come too far now. And it's a little bit like that in our journey with God. What's that song? I don't want to sing it for you. I'm sick of singing it because what's that song? I have what? I have what? Decided. I have decided something. I don't know about you, but when you decide something, decisiveness is a very strong thing in life. When you decide something, how do you know whether you've decided something? You do it. It's simple as that. If you've decided something, you do it. If you think you've decided but you're not doing it, well, you haven't really decided. It's just a great thought. Concept. Maybe you like the idea, but you haven't truly decided to do it if you're not doing it. So how do I know if I've decided something? Well, I'm doing it. If I've decided to follow Jesus, how do I know that I've made that decision? I'm following the dude. I'm following Jesus. I'm going with Jesus in a relationship with him, walking a journey with God, not as a part of my life, not as the Christian religious part of my life, but as these Muslims were expressing, Jesus then becomes the all of my life. His teachings, his values, his ethics, who he is, it becomes everything that imbibes all areas of my life, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my kids, the way I handle my finances, what I do in my my social world, what I'm like when I'm at church, also what I'm like when I'm out with the boys playing football. It impacts all areas of my life, what I allow myself to sit there and and the the thoughts that float around inside my head, the things I watch, the stuff. It's got an impact on all areas of my life. That's what Jesus came for. He didn't come to set up a religious group of people. He didn't come just to start a group of people that could add another religion to the three million religions or whatever that were already in the world at the time. He didn't come just to be another God on the shelf with all the other. He came to say, what I've brought is something totally different and brand new. And I want everything. God's a little selfish like that. He just he wants everything. He wants us to come to that place of total surrender. But he's not, I want everything for his sake. He, he, he's not lacking anything. He wants everything for your sake. Because unless you lose your life, you're not going to find it. I think there's a big difference between existing and living. And most of us exist. Jesus says, I, don't, I didn't create you. I didn't fashion you in your mother's womb. I didn't look down upon you, form you, make you. I didn't have plans and purposes for you. Good works that I prepared beforehand for you so that you could simply exist. I want you to live. I want you to live. And you find your life by losing it. It's this paradoxical idea. You find something, you've got to lose it. That's what it is with our life. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, he says, you want to run your life yourself and stay in control the whole time, then you're going to be missing bits. But if you will relinquish control and come with me, you're going to find things you never knew were there. And you're going to experience things you never knew you could have experienced. Let me tell you something. 19 years of age, I get saved. I'm a, 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 my background has not set me up for greatness. Let me put it that way. Things that happened, the way I was raised. And I'm, I love my mother. I love my father. Great people. Great people. But my background didn't set me up for anything wonderful. If I'm looking at my background, 
I am well and truly looking at my life now. I'm punching above my weight. Who knows that statement? You know, it's punching above your weight. Yep, yep. Husbands, turn to your wives and look at them and say, I am punching above my weight. Okay? I'm punching above my weight. But you know what? When I go back and look at who I was when I get saved, so insecure. So insecure. So unsure of myself. Uh, So uh, unvalued. Uh, felt like I literally had nothing to offer, nothing to give. My, my plan for my life, to be honest with you back then, what I thought I might be doing now is maybe I might be pumping petrol at a service station still. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that. I'm not saying there is. I did that for a while. You know, but I never saw myself uh, ever uh, being somebody that could have a positive influence in any way, shape or form in the world. That was me. Now, if I, I could have got saved and then just hung on to my life and gone, got my fire insurance, I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to stay in control. And I don't know what I'd be right now. But I do know this. The only reason I'm the person I am now, having experienced what I've experienced, and I've had a fantastic life. And I don't say that to build myself up or to brag. I say that for the reason that if God is something like that with me and my background, then I can't think of anybody that he couldn't do something wonderful and amazing with. I've got the chance to go to different places all around the world. I've stood in villages in India where whole communities have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. Why, God, would you let me be the first human being to go there and to say the name of Jesus? Why would you let me do that? I don't know. I can only put it down to one thing. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. And sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. It's not all a bed of roses like sometimes the postcards say. You know, come to Jesus and he'll heal every sickness. You know what? prayed for people. I was thinking this morning about a lovely gentleman I was praying for uh, many years ago. And uh, his name was Graham and he contracted cancer. He was a school teacher. And I remember sitting in his landroom, his wife rang me. She was not a believer one day. She rings me and goes, can you come please to my house? Graham, there's something going on inside. He's, he's just, I know there's something going on. I can't get it out of him. I remember going to his house and sitting there and talking to Graham and praying with Graham while his wife is there, who's not a believer and, 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 and her involved in this process and believing God that he would heal Graham of cancer and then I also remember standing at Graham's funeral and his wife asked me would I do the eulogy whatever it's called and speaking and looking at his wife and his kids and thinking God why didn't why didn't you heal this guy you know same time I've stood beside people that should be dead I remember going to a hospital once in Brisbane I just got a phone call radically out of the blue from a a, a lady saying somebody a friend of a friend of a friend gave me your name my son has been uh, hit by a bus he's in hospital a truck or bus car or something and he's going to die and he's in Brisbane hospital can you go and see him please I walk in I hang up I jump in a car I drive to the hospital I get there to the hospital I go upstairs (coughs) and I walk in and I ask for this guy I, I can't remember what was his name Greg Holmes. Greg Holmes was his name. I asked for Greg Holmes, and they told me he's in this in that water. I go upstairs, I walk in, and here's this guy laying in a hospital bed with drips and tubes and everything, incomprehensive, battered, bruised, beaten, looks like he's just about to die. I don't even know if he could understand or hear me. And I just sat there with him a little bit, said, look, I got a phone call from your mum. I'm just here to have a chat with you. Uh, his mother was a believer. He wasn't. And I just began to share. I don't know if you can understand what I'm saying, but I'm just going to share with you that I'm here because there's a God that loves you. And I just want to tell you about this God. I don't even know if you can hear me, but I just want you to know that there's a God who loves you. One day we're going to depart this world, every one of us. And on the other side of this world is continued existence, but it's in a place called heaven. It's with God. 
It's going to be continued existence. Where for whatever uh, your, your belief for about heaven, about hell, whatever, I do know this, that there's going to be an eternity in the presence with God or there's going to be an option that's going to be devoid of God. And so I'm sharing with this guy and in the end I just prayed for him. I put my hand down and I said, Lord, I'm just asking you in Jesus' name, would you heal Greg just as a sign of your love for him, you know? And I walk out, about two weeks later, somebody asked me the question. They said to me, oh, whatever happened to that guy, Greg? And I, I'm, I'm not the most you know, astute human being. I forgot all about him. I haven't even been back to visit the guy. So anyway, I thought, oh, no, I forgot about Greg. Quick, I jumped in a car. I drove to the hospital. I go upstairs to where his ward is. I walk into the room where he was, and the bed's empty. And I thought, oh, he died, obviously. I mean, I'm not surprised. He was all battered and beaten and so on. And so I start walking out, and a nurse comes up goes, oh, are you looking for Greg? I said, actually, yeah, I am. She said, oh, yeah, we've moved him. He's had to put him up in another ward. We needed the bed, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, oh, that's a positive thing. The guy's still alive, unless they're moving dead bodies around the ward, which I doubt. So he's still alive. So I start running up the stairs, up the elevators, and around the corners and corridors, and I find this place where he's meant to be. And I, I, I walk up to the reception, and I say, look, I was told that there's a guy called Greg Holmes that's been moved up here. It doesn't look like the right place. This is the geriatric wing of the hospital. She said, yeah, I know. Said, but uh, yeah, they ran out of beds everywhere, so they've put him in the geriatric wing, go down the hallway, turn right, and he's just down that way. So I walk down the hallway, I turn right, I walk in. Soon as I see this guy, soon as I walk in the room, he sits upright in his bed and he looks at me, Brother Alan, how are you? Praise God, this is awesome, it's so great to see you. Praise Jesus, it's fantastic. You know, Alan, they put me up here to hang out with all these old people because these old people are dying and they're, they're sitting here telling me that they've had a long life and I'm telling them you haven't lived because you've never met Jesus and you need to come to Christ and you need to put your faith. And he's preaching at all these old people and they want him out of the ward because they're over him and I'm just in the middle of this whirlwind they're over him he's preaching at him, and I'm like whoa 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 so God you healed this guy and he gets radically saved but Graham goes to be with the Lord I, I, I don't get it I don't get it I'm a big fan of City Slickers anyone ever seen that movie City Slickers what's Billy Crystal's famous line this was not in the brochure remember that line this was not in the brochure. Ah, oh, boy. You know, sometimes I look at Christianity and I look at what we promote and what we tell people it's all about, and sometimes I think, that that's not in the brochure. God, I've been through some things that are not in the brochure. <laughs> I've had some experiences that were not in the brochure. They were not on the glossy color pages, Lord. I've been through some downs and some outs and some hard times. And, and, and the stuff that I was told Jesus would fix didn't get fixed. And the places I was told would become perfect didn't become perfect didn't happen but i'm still on a journey and i'm still learning and i'm still growing but but i know this when i decided to follow jesus i understood something about god i'm not even preaching my message i'm just this is just what it is now okay we're, 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 i've gone past the point of no return i can't go back now because i've used up half my time <laughs> hebrews 11 and verse 6 says this hebrews 11 6 it says without faith Without faith, without faith, it's what? It's, it's what? Without, it's what? Impossible to what? Please God. Wow, what a statement. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now that statement there tells me something about the very character and nature of not only the God I'm following, but the life I've walked into. If it's impossible to please God without faith, 
But I know that God wants me to live a life that's pleasing to him. Then what does that mean about my life? What does that mean about the spaces that I'm going to step into in my journey as I've decided to follow Jesus? Well, it tells me this. If I can't please him without faith, but he wants me to please him, then in his will, he's going to make sure that I find myself in constant spaces that require what? Faith. If you're going to find your life, you've got to lose it. You can't stay in control all the time. You can't just trust what you see, taste, touch, smell. You can't just trust everything you think and all your own perspectives. This is the God that we're, we can't, the God we can't please without faith is the same God who said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I was just thinking about this two weeks ago, thinking, God, if every time I come to you in every given situation all the time, if everything about you, God, if every solution you give me, if everything about God is exactly the same as my thoughts, I wonder whether I'm really following God. Because if his thoughts are not my thoughts, there are going to be moments in my life where he requires stuff of me that's outside of my box. There's going to be times where he requires things of me where I just have to let go of control and trust him. Because he's speaking, because he's leading, because he's saying, without faith, you can't please me. Sometimes I think we think when we come to Christ, he's going to make our life so neatly packaged and so in order and so well structured and so well defined and every need so well met that we no longer need to trust him. We say things like, God will provide all my needs. Yeah, but you know know what that means? That means in order for God to provide your needs, you've got to find yourself in a place where you need something. Amen? But sometimes we interpret that as I come to Christ. He'll give me so much that all my needs are met in one moment and I never have a need. Now, hang on, that's not what he's saying. If your God's going to provide your needs, then God's going to make sure you're in places where you have need. Does that make sense? Because when you find yourself in a place where you have need, you can exercise. You can trust. Or you can try to work it all out yourself. You can grab control and go, give me back the remote. Yeah, everyone got kids at home. Worst thing you can do if you've got kids at home. If you have three kids, don't have two remote controls for the Wii. You're setting yourself up for a world of pain. Don't have two remote controls for the PlayStation and three kids. Every parent here, amen. Don't do it. It's just going to be pain and chaos and arguments and torture for everybody. You're going to have three remotes. Don't have two. You're going to have three. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God is going to keep me in a place in my life where I need to exercise faith. Faith is simply trust and assurance in the goodness of God. That's what it is. Faith in its basic level is trust and belief in the goodness of God. That whatever I'm going through, whatever the situation is, he says he'll meet the need. And here's the thing, because his thoughts are not my thoughts... There have been times where what I thought I needed didn't happen. So because his thoughts are not my thoughts, instead of going, well, you didn't meet my need, because that's what my thoughts are saying. My thoughts are saying that was a need. My thoughts are saying you didn't meet the need, but his thoughts are not my thoughts. Therefore, God's saying, no, 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 that wasn't actually a need. I didn't need to meet it. Maybe you didn't need that. Maybe it didn't have to pan out that way. Maybe, heaven forbid, that God has a bird's eye picture of the world bigger than us. <gasps> you know? Some of us are a bit like Peter. 
Jesus comes along and says, right, we've had a radical time. It's been awesome, but here's what's going to happen from here on in. They're going to take me and they're going to crucify me and they're going to kill me. This was going to happen to me. But Peter, who knows more than God, pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. This won't be happening to you, Jesus. What? Who do you think you are, Peter? You're telling Jesus that, you're telling God that what God said is going to happen is not going to happen because, but Peter, your thoughts are not his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways, Peter. Just rest in faith. Trust God. Learn to trust God. We were talking uh, last couple of weeks about fear and faith. Fear and faith. As believers, we're going to bow our knee to one of them. We're going to bow our knee to fear, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of letting go. We're going to bow ourselves to the fear of the potential uh, chaos or mess. How many of you know sometimes God's got to create a mess in order to clean things up? Anyone ever experienced that? Sometimes God's got to make a mess in order to clean up stuff. We don't like this because we have this sterile Christianity where we've been given the brochure and the brochure is that everything pans out perfectly the way we want. We've all got our own versions. We've got an extreme Pentecostal version of the, of the Word of Faith version uh, brochure. You know, Come to Jesus and you'll be rich and healthy and whatever you want you'll get and you'll have limousines and seven cars and God will give you a big house and you can buy a jet and you'll have all this stuff. That's one extreme glossy version of Christianity over here on the wall. Oh, we've got people. It's like those movies in America where they, the day where they go to college and they walk into the auditorium and there's people from all the colleges there and we've got all our versions there. We've got this extreme. Then we've got the ones over here that, no, no, God actually, you're not that important to God. Doesn't really care too much about, you, you, you know, you're a worm, no longer a man. You'll be squashed into the ground and God doesn't care. And then there's, there's all these kinds of brochures floating about there. But I'm trying to think at it all and go, well, hang on a second. I want to go back to the Jesus brochure. Let's have a look at what Jesus said. And let's adopt the Jesus brochure about Christianity. What did Jesus say about our faith? What did Jesus say this life was going to be like? I'm glad you asked me that because he actually mentions it in Matthew chapter 10. Good question, people. You guys are thinking well today. Matthew chapter 10, I'm pretty sure. Jesus has a lot to say. In Matthew chapter 10 about this journey that we call ourselves and that we walk on. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is applicable for some people but not for all. It's sad but true. If you don't want to go to the point of no return with Jesus, don't worry about any of this stuff. Don't worry about it because it's not going to happen to you. It's not going to be a part of your journey. It won't be part of your experience. If you don't want to go to that point of no return in your, your faith and your commitment level to Christ, if you're more concerned with what people are going to think about you, what the world's going to think about you, then don't worry about this. I'm not talking to you. Disregard this. Actually, you can grab some morning tea, grab a coffee. But those of you that are serious about going past that point, see, I believe this. Real Christianity kicks in at that point of no return. That's when we experience... God. God goes from being a concept in our heads, information that we've never really needed to trust or fall on, just information we've never really needed to rely on. But when you go past that point of no return, all of a sudden you've got to rely on that. You've got to trust it. You've got to trust it. This is why Christianity is frightening. Really is. It's a frightening religion. Now, what I say to young people? I know a lot of young people brought up in church, and I've spoken about this before. There are reasons for this. Okay, 
I don't think, that, I don't think as a church we do a really good job at equipping young people for life outside of when you go to university, college and so on. And you get some brainiac lecturer tell you, no, 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 you actually came from a monkey. And here's why, ABC. And we go, oh, I've just been told the Bible says. Oh. Maybe you're right because you've researched the monkey thing and I don't really know. So I think we do a bad job of that. But there's another reason too. And that's because it takes guts to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is a courageous decision to make. Christianity is not a religion for the weak. It's not. People say Jesus is a crutch. I think if Jesus is a crutch, it's the crutch that the world tries to beat me with. (laughs) If Jesus is a crutch, (laughs) if you haven't got guts, don't follow Jesus. If you're not a man or woman of courage, don't follow Jesus. Don't do it. There's a reason why in the book of Revelation there's this, this statement about God saying you weren't hot nor cold. You were just lukewarm. So I couldn't do anything with you. You just came out. You know? You can do stuff with really cold things. You know, you can make a cordial or ice or drink cold water if it's... You can do things with the hot stuff, make soups, stews. <laughs> you know what happens when I, when I leave a water bottle in my car and I go training and forget my water's in there and I come back and it's lukewarm? You know what I do with it? Just pour it out. I don't want to drink it. It's lukewarm. Hot, cold. It's just about being extremely useful. Not this lukewarm middle ground. I reckon the most depressed human beings I know on planet Earth are sitting in churches and they haven't made the decision yet to go all the way with God. So I'm trying to please you when I come to church. I'm trying to please them when I go away from church and then I'm just packing death whenever the two worlds meet because I don't want either of you to see. You know, we had some friends here. We went and watched the um, grand final with recently just up around the corner um, here. Wonderful friends, really good people. Love Jesus. They love God. And we went up there and watched the NRL Grand Final with them. When we came away, as we were leaving, one of them made a statement to us and they said this. They said, oh, we haven't told our neighbours that we're Christians yet. Now, I'm not saying as soon as you move into a neighbourhood, hi, my name's Alan, I'm a Christian. (laughs) I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. When you've been living with someone, having parties with them, barbecues with them, doing life with them for three, four months, five months, and you're whispering on the quiet to me, oh, I haven't let them know I'm a Christian yet. I'm going, that's something not quite good about that. Because guess what? One day, your two worlds will collide. The truth will come out. And who are you more concerned about pleasing? Man or God? What's more important to you? Are we man pleasers or are we God pleasers? You know, Matthew chapter 10. I haven't got time now. We're just about to finish. I haven't got time to get into it. But I I do want to... Um, just tell you, I, I found this interesting statement um, about a study that was done recently. It was research that was undertaken by the US Agency for International Development and also field research done by the United Nations. This was in preparing people that were going to work on, um, on foreign soil in uh, a voluntary capacities in hospitals and refugee centres and so on. This is the research they did, right? And here's what they discovered. They discovered this. It's... Uh, 
<coughs> this re <coughs> the research showed conclusively that people facing adverse situations are much more prone to find fulfilment, satisfaction, good mental and physical health, stamina, and also be retained for the long haul if they were prepared for the worst they could possibly face, not the best. Isn't that interesting? They found that when these people were going to go and work in a hospital, say in Africa, they sat them down and they gave them the worst, this is what could happen to you. You could be kidnapped. The political situation could go pear-shaped and you could be killed. Um, we could run out of funding because the government, and, and you're gone. Uh, religious fanatics, Islamic fundamentalists are 400 kilometres north or south, uh, north of you. They could go, and they prepared them with all, it's almost like they're trying to talk them out of it. But they found that the people that went through the worst case scenarios were the ones that stuck it out and made a difference. See, we don't need to go best case scenarios because our romantic, adventurous brains go there, don't they? You know, I remember when you're going somewhere, your brain, you know, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to make a difference and my brain's telling me and I've got the pictures and all the, all the Hollywood stuff of how wonderful it's going to be and how great and awesome I'm going to be and how everyone's going to fall on their knees and profess Jesus just because I walked off the airport tarmac, you know, all that sort of stuff. But they found out, no, no, don't do that. Give them the worst case scenarios. In Matthew chapter 10, I'll finish with this. This is exactly what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 10. Here's what Jesus does. He gathers his disciples together and he gives them power over unclean spirits to heal sicknesses and diseases. And he tells them to go and preach. This is a commissioning moment. He equips them with everything they need and then he says, right, I'm going to send you out. Now, what's interesting here, what's very different about Jesus' tact, Jesus must have known something the United Nations researchers know. Because he gives them now, for the rest of the chapter pretty much, he gives them a whole bunch of worst case scenarios. This is what he does. How would, you be, how would this be as a recruitment drive for, um, you know, you think? By the way, come along and we're going to walk up the trail and um, some of you are going to snap your ankles and some of you are going to break fibulas and tibulas. Some of you are going to pass out of utter exhaustion. There'll be brown snakes out there. Probably on average two people will get bitten. It's okay, only one of you die. Uh, and we could go through all the worst case scenarios. Who wants to come? This is what Jesus does. Listen to this. It's awesome. It's awesome. He, he gets them together and he names the 12. And then verse 3 says, these, then Jesus, uh, these 12 Jesus sent out and he commands them and he tells them where to go and so on. And then he just goes on and he tells them, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be hated by people. What were the three big fears we talked about last week? Fear of persecution. You're going to get it. You're going to get persecution. Going to happen. He's loading them up before they even take the first step on the journey. Fear of persecution. Well, don't be afraid anymore. Let me seal the deal for you. It's on the brochure. You're going to get it. Fear of rejection. Let me seal the deal. It's on the brochure. They're going to reject you and hate you for my namesake. So I'm going to put that on the brochure now too. We've got persecution. We've got rejection. Straight away. Rejection, persecution. And as far as your reputation goes, the third one, fear of losing our reputation. Man, you are going to have a shocking reputation. If they think I'm nuts, they're going to think you're nuts. If they want to kill me, they're going to want to kill you. If they think I'm fruit loopy and lost it, they're going to think you're fruit loopy and lost it. So that's now on the brochure. So here's what he does. He says, here's your brochure, guys. Persecution, loss of reputation and rejection. Sign up today. Who wants to go? He says, don't start walking if you're not going to trust me. Don't, don't walk if you can't trust me. Nothing wrong with saying I can't trust you yet. Nicodemus couldn't quite trust him yet. That's why he comes to Jesus at night. There's another passage in there in one of the gospel uh, accounts where it says that the, many of the rulers and the leaders believed in Jesus, but they would not follow him. 
for fear of other people. It says it. They wanted to follow him. They believed in him, but they wouldn't follow him for fear of the religious leaders and what other people would think. So they didn't want to follow. They want to walk with him. Jesus says, follow me, not stand behind me. I'm going to take you somewhere on a journey. We're going somewhere together. And he goes on and he just gives them all these worst-case scenarios. But here's what I like. Verse 26, it gets right down. He says, don't fear them. After telling him what all these people are going to do, he says, don't fear them, though. I want you to fear them. And he goes on. He says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. If you're going to speak it in the light, guess what? People are going to hear it, see it. What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. Get on that housetop and preach it. Don't shy away in fear. He's talking about fear and faith. He's loading them up with this is what's going to happen. Now you've got a choice. You can take the next step in fear or the next step in faith. What do you want to do? Then he goes on he says this weird thing. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then just random out of the blue, he starts talking about birds. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? What? Jesus, you've just talked about being beaten and stoned and ridiculed, reputation shot, persecuted, rejected. Who gives a flip about birds? Isn't it strange to you? Sometimes I read these things and I go, what were you thinking? But I love what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them, get this, not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. You know the cheapest meal in Jesus' day? You know what it was? Sparrow. The average day's wage could buy you about 30 sparrows approximately. I'm not joking. Sparrows were the poor man's meal. They were a dime a dozen. One day's wage, you can go and buy about 30 sparrows. And they would eat them. Jesus is saying this. You know that sparrow that you probably had for breakfast this morning? You know that sparrow that are just caught on mass, the sparrows that nobody cares about. They're not even that valuable. They're so, it's like, it's like going to the shop and, a, and, and, and a, an Allen's red snake is 50 cents today. You could buy a sparrow for 15. That's how little value the sparrow had. He says, but you know what? Nothing's going to happen to that sparrow that, I'm not, that your father's not aware of. Much more valuable are you. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. If I have that much concern and care for that which is so undervalued by you, it wasn't my ankle, it's okay. (laughs) My knee. (laughs) That which has such little value, the sparrow, says, but none of those sparrows are going to fall down apart from God knowing and allowing it to happen. So when you go out there and you're persecuted for my name, so if you get rejected because you're standing for me, are you not worth more than a sparrow? Do you think your father doesn't know that? Do you think he's not watching? If your reputation gets shot because you attach yourself to Jesus, 
Do you think your father is unaware of that? Do you think he doesn't get? Are you of not much more value than a sparrow? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I'm just working out who we spent the most time on and who we spent the least. I get it, brother. You're just making God's job easier. That's all. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Watch this. This is beautiful. But do not fear. Come on, guys. Do not fear. You are of much more value than a sparrow. Don't live your life in fear. Follow God. Go after God. Go after God. Gideon's men. Fear didn't stop the army. God just said, whoever's scared and afraid, tell them to go home. They made the choice to go home. Fear is not a sin. Having fear is not a sin. I know we hear that Oh, Jesus commanded us, don't, do not... You know what? I, I don't see God commanding. I don't see God saying to Joshua, who's just inherited two million people, because Moses has passed away, and Joshua's now got to lead two million people to a place they've never been before. And God, being the very nature and character of who he is, getting angry and going, Fear not, Joshua! I'll tell you the picture I have. I see a father looking down, going, I can understand this is freaking you out. Two million people, Joshua, this is a big gig. And you've just, you didn't ask for this. But you're, in, you're the man for the moment. You're in the space right now. And so I'm going to speak to you and say, you know what, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. That's why I'm saying don't. But I'm not just going to say don't be afraid. I'm going to give you something else to think about. Don't fear. Because I'm going to be with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, Joshua. In other words, I know you're afraid, but do it anyway, because I'll be with you. I know you're scared, do it anyway. I'll be with you. I know it's frightening in 2019 to go all out for God in the business world, in the sporting world, in the political world. I know it's frightening even in the church world to go all out for God in the year 2019. It is. I can just hear the Father saying, you know what, I understand the fear. I really do. I get it. I'm not angry at you because feeling fear is not a sin. It's a normal part of human existence. But I don't want you to bow your knee to the fear. I want you to do what you've got to do in spite of the fear. I want you to push on anyway. First Corinthians chapter 2, what did Paul the Apostle say? He says to the Corinthian church, he says, When I came to you, I didn't come with wise and persuasive words. I determined to know nothing amongst you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. My preaching, he says, when I came to you, I came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I take great comfort from that. But what challenges me the most is this, he came in weakness, fear and trembling, but he came anyway. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to push on through the fear. And as a church, we can do that because God is with us. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you.
for this morning, Lord. I want to thank you for every person that's in this uh, place here this morning, God. Lord, I, I pray that, Father, as we walk out of here, that, Lord, faith, God, I pray faith would rise in our hearts. God, let this week be a week of faith. God, for every one of us, I, I include myself in this, Lord, where, where as I look at the trials and the, and, the, and the persecutions and the pressures, God, as I look at the decisions I have to make, as I look at the mountains that I'm facing, as I look at the valleys I'm walking through, God, Father, I pray that in every decision I make, in every situation I face, that, Lord, faith would rise inside of my heart. Lord, that faith would be more powerful than fear. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would get beyond that point of no return, firstly in our relationship with you, Lord, that we'd make that decision. We're following you, and God, there's no open doors, there's no back doors, there's no uh, second chances. We're not just trying this Jesus thing, we're in with everything we got. And God, once we've made that decision, that, Lord, we would go past the point of no return for you. That, Lord, you could come and speak to us and you could say, do this, do that. Go left, go right, stand up, sit down, love that person, forgive that person, give to that person, offer to pray for that person. Lord, whatever it would be, God, that you would come to us and you would see in us a community of people that have made that decision to go beyond the point of no return with you and also we would go beyond the point of no return for you, God. If you want to do things in our community, in our families, in our lives, in our worlds, then Lord, we'd be the people that would put our hands in the air and say, here am I, pick me. Here am I, pick me, Lord. God, we've got such a limited amount of time on planet Earth. Let us live every day in the light of eternity. Lord, let us do what we do to bring glory to you and to see, have every possible opportunity to understand who you really are, not who Google says you are, not who the media say you are, Father, not who the, 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 the people that have had bad experiences and want to get on TV and talk to the world about who you are. God, I pray that we would have the opportunity to let the world know who you really are. A loving, gracious Father who sees value in us, purpose in us, created us for a reason and wants relationship with us. Not from a distance, but up close. And Lord, I pray for each of us as well as we go into the ne- this, uh, this next week, Father, the next seven days. Everybody in this room, God, in the next seven days, give us a chance to tell somebody about Jesus, somebody that up to this point doesn't yet know about you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Bless you. I've got a message there I can do next week now. Actually, I won't be able to do it next week. Let me just give you a heads up. We have an awesome guest preacher next week, um, Pastor James White. Or Jim White, sorry, is coming up from Seacoast. So Jim's going to be here next week. So uh, please uh, make him feel welcome when he comes along. And uh, uh, I'm sure that he he always has something on his heart uh, that's really from the heart and the mind of God. So please come along next week and uh, I'll be asking. I'll I'll have a little uh, question and answer sheet afterwards with a test for you. And if you can't answer the questions right after Jim's been here, then you may have to find another church. We'll get to that later on. Okay, bless you guys.